Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hello and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast, your go-to source for all things movies. And I am your host, Movie Mike. And today I want to talk about great movies that actually got bad reviews when they first came out. Now, this is inspired by the new Marvel movie, The Eternals, that came out over the weekend, which I feel got reviewed bombed. And I'll talk about what that is and why I don't like it. And I'll get into my spoiler-free review of that movie love marvel seen all the marvel movies but i will say at the start of this wasn't that excited for this one so i'll let you know my thoughts on that movie in the trailer park we also have another marvel movie called morbius with jared leto we'll talk about the lady gaga movie some controversy there thanks for being subscribed and listening to the podcast every single week if you haven't yet hit that subscribe button hit that follow button wherever you're listening to this right now and without any further ado Let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. So let's talk about great movies that actually got bad reviews when they came out. These are all movies that we know to be classics and would never say anything bad about these movies. And if you heard somebody say anything bad about these movies, you would question their judgment. But here's the thing about critics, and I don't consider myself a critic. I've said that on the podcast before. I am at the heart of this podcast, just the guy who loves movies. I started out reviewing movies on my Snapchat that moved over to Instagram, and it led to me wanting to do my own podcast where I just talk about movies. But I have no agenda here. Like, I'm I am in no way influenced by movie studios. I am in no way trying to make these big, bold statements just to get a reaction out of people. I'm literally, if I were your friend at a party, I would tell you about the movies I like, tell you about the movies I don't like. And I think depending on the amount of time you've been listening to this podcast, you kind of know what I end up liking and what I end up don't liking and take that judgment and, you know, base what you want to see on yourself. Again, we don't always have to agree on everything when it comes to movies. 
And I don't expect you to listen to this podcast and be like, oh, he got it right on every single movie. But I'm just telling you exactly how I feel. No filter. That's what this podcast is. But when it comes to critics and why I don't like them is sometimes I feel like critics just harshly give these thoughts and give these opinions on movies simply to just bash them. And I don't really like looking at Rotten Tomatoes reviews or IMDb reviews like the week before or the week of that a movie comes out that I really want to see for that same reason, because it kind of influences me a little bit. Like seeing that number of what a movie gets, it's what's called review bombing. And review bombing is when either a large number of people or a large number of critics just slam a movie and you go online and you see all these people slamming this movie. You're like, oh, there's no way that movie's good. I'm not going to see it. But I feel like you end up missing out on movies that you were maybe thinking about seeing because of some bad reviews. That's why I think this format of a podcast, hearing, you know, the thoughts about the movie, everything the movie's about, you can kind of determine for yourself whether or not you want to see it based on what I say. So that's why I like having conversations with people about movies instead of just reading a review. The movies lately that I felt like really got review bombed were Suicide Squad and The Suicide Squad, but also movies like Harley Quinn, Captain Marvel, all movies that I left the theater thinking those movies were amazing. And critics just slammed those movies for no other reason that I felt that they just wanted to give a movie like that a bad review. And a lot of that is due now to the oversaturation of superhero movies, which I'll get into more when I talk about the Eternals. But I was sitting here thinking about this and wondering, you know, what about when classic movies came out? Like, what did people say about those movies? I know there have to be some harsh reviews on movies that now we watch and know and love and have become either instant classics or cult classics or just movies we watch around a certain time of the year. But there was probably somebody out there shouting that this movie was terrible. So I pulled some of the biggest movies in cinematic history, and I'm going to read you some real reviews that these movies got. It's going to get ridiculous here. So let's start first in 1939, one of the greatest movies in all of cinematic history. I think when I think of a movie, I usually think about this movie in particular because it changed cinema forever and is The Wizard of Oz. We all know what it's about. A tornado sweeps Dorothy and her dog Toto away from Kansas to the magical land of Oz, and she's most meet these new friends and foes in her quest to get home. Now, the thing about The Wizard of Oz is it really wasn't a box office success when it first came out. Made about $3 million, but it was like a really expensive movie to make at the time. Cost about $2.7 million, and that's in 1939. That would be a ton of money now. And the film was originally about a loss of $1.1 million for MGM. But since then, it's gone on to be one of the best movies of all time. And here is an actual review from a publication called The New Republic. It says, it has dwarves, music, technicolor, freak characters, and Judy Garland. It can't be expected to have a sense of humor as well. And as for the light touch of fantasy, it weighs like a pound of fruitcake soaking wet. That is quite the slam for 1939, basically saying that this movie has no substance. And I love that they called out the color in this review. I mean, one of the best scenes ever is when it goes from being in black and white to being in color. Changed the way we watch movies. And for all the special effects in The Wizard of Oz at that time, all practical effects that they'd had to do, it's amazing to me that somebody would slam them. But hey, I guess you had to sell newspapers back in 1939. Up next is Star Wars in 1977, the first film released by George Lucas that went on to create the most epic series sci-fi saga in all of film. 
So it's the first time you learn about Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Princess Leia, Yoda, the galaxy far, far away. Clearly, everybody had to love this movie, right? Well, you'd be wrong. Here's a review from The New Yorker from a writer named Pauline Kale. And the review is simply, it's an ensemble of spare parts. It has no emotional grip and epic without a dream. Now, I'm just going to speculate about Pauline here. I think she had something really serious going on in her life and she didn't want to write this review. I just couldn't imagine in 1977 and watching a movie like Star Wars, a movie that I watched 20 plus years later after it came out, and I was still surprised by this. Like, I still kind of baffles me how far ahead they were in making that movie look timeless. Now, but I think for at the time that that movie came out, it was incredible. I feel like the special effects still hold up. And what do you mean about no emotional grip? An epic without a dream. That movie inspired me to dream. And I think that's what makes the Star Wars movies great is there's so many just random characters that all work so well together. And A New Hope is my favorite Star Wars movie. I think it's because you see all these characters for the first time and you're just, bam, put right into this universe. You learn about it as you go and you accept everything for just what they tell you. I think maybe now people could look back and not love Star Wars or feel like it's a little bit overrated. I just don't know how you give this bad a review. Moving on now, jumping into the 90s, Pretty Woman, really the best romantic comedy of all time, really set the standard for this genre. I think it's also the most profitable romantic comedy of all time, which we all know the story. It's a modern update on Cinderella. You got a prostitute, a wealthy businessman. They fall in love for each other, forming an unlikely pair. Simple as that. And here is a review from Time Magazine by a writer named Richard Corliss. And it's a simple takedown that says, no one has yet made a romantic comedy in which, say a toxic waste dumper falls in love with a terrorist hijacker, but Pretty Woman comes close to finding the least admirable characters to build a feel-good movie around. I don't know what movie they watched. Now, I'm not the biggest Julia Roberts fan. I really only like a few of her movies. Again, just a personal preference for me. But I can't deny the fact of how charming Julia Roberts is and how much she just demands the attention when she's on the screen. And I think that greatly shows in Pretty Woman. And I think that's also what's so great about Pretty Woman is it's not your stereotypical romantic comedy. There's so many more layers of this. First of all, she's a prostitute. Nothing about it feels forced in any way. I thought their relationship was well developed throughout the entire movie and in no way felt like this movie was a waste of my time when I first watched it. And I think that's why this movie has held up so well over the years and still regarded as one of the best romantic comedies of all time. So Richard, you got that one wrong. Staying in the 90s, next, one of the biggest movies from 1994 is Forrest Gump. The story of a simple and kind-hearted boy from Alabama falls in love with his best friend Jenny, tries to save her as he becomes witness to some of the most important events in human history. And Forrest Gump is not just seen as one of the best movies of the 90s. But I think if you polled most of America just asking their favorite movies, I feel like a majority of people would have this in their top five because it has all elements of what make a movie great. You got drama, you got romance, you got comedy. You have special effects that at the time were really hard to do. And just realizing the magnitude of of the things they had to put into getting this movie made and the scale of this movie. I mean, one of the greatest sequences in this entire movie is Forrest literally running across the entire United States 
And we just watched that as, oh, it's, you know, here's this one scene, he's on the East Coast, and this next scene, he's on the West Coast, and now he's in the desert. But to think of how much they had to travel to get all those shots, and that was really like a crazy operation they did in secret, to where they would basically send a really skeleton crew to go and film these scenes of just Tom Hanks running in these different parts of the country, and it ended up being one of the best parts of the entire movie. But here is an actual review from Owen Gieberman writing for Entertainment Weekly. It is glib, shallow, and monotonous. A movie that spends so much time sanctifying its hero that despite his quote-unquote innocence, he ends up seeming about as vulnerable as Superman. I don't think they understood the movie. And I can only imagine how this writer felt after the movie went on to break all kinds of records, one for best picture. If Twitter was a thing back in 1994 and he tweeted that, he would have clearly pulled that down within about a few months. But also the great thing about the internet, the things you say <laughs> last forever and there'll be some guy on a podcast talking about them years later. Keeping it in the 90s now, let's move on to 1997's Titanic, which we all know the story, Rose and Jack falling in love on the ill-fated ocean liner. Now, you can say what you want about the love story in this movie, but I actually rewatched it fairly recently. And I always knew how good of a movie Titanic was, but rewatching it now that it was on Netflix, I realized just how much of a piece of art this movie was. But here's an actual review from the LA Times from a writer named Kenneth Turan. They said, What does $200 million buy? The three hour and 14 minute Titanic unhastingly answers not enough basically saying that this movie was a waste of money back to my thoughts after re-watching this movie I realized just how large of a scale this movie was from the massive sets the cinematography the acting and just the little intricacies that it took to get this movie to that status Yes, it is a long movie at over three hours. If you've watched this movie and owned it back in the 90s, this is what we call a two VHS tape movie. And while this review is criticizing the $200 million spent on making this movie, I think every dollar was well spent. Because to me, this almost doesn't feel like a movie. It almost feels like its own entity. And while it's not completely historically accurate, and it's more of focusing on the love story, I feel like James Cameron did a really good job of kind of feeling like the Titanic was well represented as this moment in history and creating this movie to where we're never going to forget about that ever again. You also just realize how great everybody acted in this movie from Kate Winslet to a young Leonardo DiCaprio. The acting, the special effects, the costume design, the soundtrack, and Watching this movie, I also thought more of what it takes for a director to get their vision right. And when you see a review like this about something that clearly was an entirely huge production, and it's not just the director, but everybody else working on this movie, like that's a really hard thing to do. It's a really hard task to take on. So considering the money on the line, how long it took to make, and how it stood the test of time, this review clearly does not age well. And finally, I'll end with this movie from 1999, Fight Club. One of my favorite movies of all time. Edward Norton, Brad Pitt. You got an underground fight club that evolves into much, much more. And here is a review from Roger Ebert. 
He said, Fight Club is a thrill ride masquerading as philosophy, the kind of ride where some people puke and others can't wait to get on again. Basically saying that the movie's smarter than it thinks it is. And this just takes me back to a time where I got all my reviews from Siskel and Ebert. And it would come on at night, they'd go through all the biggest movies, and they greatly determined whether or not America would go and see movies, which is astounding to me. And I love that that's evolved from being a primetime television show to now there's all different avenues where you can get your reviews. YouTube, this podcast, Instagram, Twitter, that's everywhere now that we don't just have to listen to two older guys give their opinions. I think Fight Club is great. I think as a kid, I loved it so much because it felt like something I shouldn't be watching. But even now, I still love going back to watch that movie. Even though I know exactly what's going to happen, it's still one of my favorites. And I'll leave you with this is mainly my point for doing this entire topic and how I've come to evaluate whether or not I'm going to see a movie, which has changed over time because now I do a movie podcast where I have to see all the newest, biggest movies, so I'm able to talk about them. But before that, I would read reviews. But at the end of the day, if you want to see something, go see something. That's the great thing about movies. We can both watch them and have totally different opinions on them. And I just love that debate. I love that back and forth. You like the movie. I didn't like the movie. Let's talk about it. The whole reason I do this podcast is because of that. So I love it when you share your opinions with me too on Instagram and Twitter. Let's keep the conversation going. Let's keep movies alive. And remember, just because you see it written online doesn't mean that it's true. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, 
and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Let's get into a movie review now, keeping it spoiler-free, talking about The Eternals, the latest movie from Marvel, racked up about $71 million over the weekend. And I said when this trailer first came out, I wasn't too excited about it. I didn't really know what it was going to be about when it first was announced. Marvel is in its phase four now, so they're in a bit of a transition period of not relying on the normal Avengers anymore. So I have a lot of thoughts after watching The Eternals, but if you haven't seen the trailer yet, here's just a little bit of that. We need to find the others. I haven't seen some of them for centuries. Hi. Hello. This is what the end of the world looks like. At least we have front row seats. You know what's never saved the planet? Your sarcasm. We have loved these people since the day we arrived. When you love something, protected all right so let me preface this review first is first of all i've seen every marvel movie and i've talked about recently how i haven't been that excited for phase four of marvel all my favorite characters are kind of in different areas of marvel now and it's not ever going to be the avengers coming back anymore so marvel is in this period where they're like all right we got to look ahead to the future And I think earlier this year with Black Widow got me excited again about it. And then with Shang-Chi, that was really one of my favorite Marvel movies of all time. An unexpected hit for me. But when it came to The Eternals, I felt like they originally pitched this as kind of being the new Avengers. This new team of superheroes that's going to go out and save the world. And what the movie is about is all these Eternals... And it was their mission to be on Earth and protect the Earth against these deviants who are basically these big monsters. And they were able to keep them under wraps for years. And now this movie takes place when the deviants have returned and are wrecking havoc on the world, looking to destroy it. And the Eternals must assemble again like one big family and save the world. So let me start first of what I did like about the movie. First of all. The cast was the most diverse cast I've seen in any superhero movie, really any movie in recent history. And all together, when you put these characters on screen, it kind of gave me vibes of the Umbrella Academy. It's all these people with all these different superpowers. They have this history together. They've basically been alive forever. And they are all they really know. And they've tried to go on and live their own lives, be normal humans as much as they can being Eternals. So when it came to the characters themselves, I thought they were pretty good. But what I realized upon watching this movie and I'm sitting there is it's almost too many characters to focus in on. And I feel like they never really each get their moment to shine. 
And I kind of wanted to have just one centralized main character to focus on, which they do in a way. But I think that ended up being what kind of kept me out of the movie is I never really got emotionally invested with any of the characters. There was kind of so many to focus in on and all the stories and the jumping from present day to past to these flashbacks. I felt like this movie was trying to be a little more emotional than it was building up to be. And there were some really great moments of action. These little bits of like, all right, here are these deviants and them really getting to showcase their powers. I thought that part was cool. But this movie really felt unlike any other Marvel movie I've seen before. And I think they did that with, you know, great purpose. You bring in Chloe Zhao, who is coming off an Oscar win with Nomadland and now directing this movie. They were obviously going for something different. And her directing style really comes out through the creative vision of this movie. Feels unlike any other Marvel movie. And I feel like this movie was a great setup for the next movie, which is why I didn't like it that much. It was hard to create this world of the Eternals that somehow also exists in the world of all the other Avengers. And I think I'm getting a little bit burnt out of all the references to the Avengers and trying to keep that alive. Like, I think Marvel just has to move on from that. Stop referencing New York. Stop referencing the Avengers or anybody like in particular. Just be your own movie if you're going to do that. Like, I get you're trying to keep people like reminded about all the good movies and all the Avengers, but... For this movie, I didn't want any memory of that. I wanted to be fully into this, fully into loving these characters, fully into getting to know them and wanting to see not only another Eternals movie, but maybe a solo movie. And I, again, felt like no characters shined through to me and they were all pretty forgettable. So in a way, I felt like this movie created a world too big for itself. And by the time the movie started to get really good and the action was the best, it was already over. And... My initial review that I posted on Instagram is that my favorite part of the entire movie was the first post credit scene. And I'll explain that. It's because that was the only scene that really made me feel like I was watching something enjoyable. And I think it was the only time that the movie had like a real fun vibe to it. Maybe felt more like a traditional Marvel movie and it got me excited for the next one. But I'm over these teases. I need a really good movie now. And I don't want to keep feeling like they didn't leave everything on the table when it comes to superhero movies. And maybe I'm also just a little bit burnt out on superhero movies altogether. I found myself more and more just caring less about the next Marvel movie. And that's coming from somebody who, like, these are my favorite kind of movies. But here's what I'll say about The Eternals. I saw what other people said about the movie, what other people thought about it. Some people love this movie. Some people said they fell asleep during this movie, which I was very close to falling asleep. It was also very long. At over two and a half hours, I felt like that was ambitious for a movie like this where you're introduced to all these new characters and trying to keep the attention of people. I felt in this case, it hurt the movie because there were unnecessary scenes. There was unnecessary parts to the story that didn't really need to be there. In the end of it, didn't really matter. And don't go into it expecting the same kind of humor as other Marvel movies. It's just not the same. I don't think I laughed once during this movie. But again, as I review this movie and talk about this movie and just coming off of talking about review bombing, I won't say that you shouldn't see this movie and here's why. After watching it and thinking more about it, I realized that this movie just wasn't for me, but it's probably for someone else. Somebody who's really wanting something heavy into sci-fi wanting to go back and kind of look more at the origin of all these characters. 
is into just being immersed in this whole new big world. So in no way I would ever say this is a bad movie. It's not. Compared to other movies, it's already a step ahead of anything else out there just by being a Marvel movie at this scale. So I'm rating this only on all the other Marvel movies I've seen this year and in most recent history. I would give this movie three out of five deviants. I do love how ambitious Marvel was in creating something that's totally its own. And maybe it's just that I'm not into big epic sci-fi fantasy movies right now, as we saw that I didn't really like Dune. For me, there just wasn't enough to keep my attention. There's very little into me wanting to see another Eternals movie. But I also can recognize that Marvel does have to progress. They can't just keep making the same Iron Man Thor movies forever and ever. People are already getting burnt out by that. So they have to create a world that's entirely different. And that's why you hired this director. That's why you have this cast. And with the $71 million it made over the weekend, people are going to watch more Eternals movies. What I think Marvel needs to do is kind of change a little bit of not all of these Marvel movies existing in the same universe anymore. Get away from that a little bit. Let people who want to see Eternals movies exist just in this world and keep it separate from all the other movies. I think it gets a little too oversaturated when you have all these movies kind of crossing paths and one linking to the other. I think they need to get away from that a little bit. And I get it's such a successful way to put out movies because if you see one, you got to see the other one because you don't understand it. But I think giving us the ability to just watch one movie without having to know all that happened in another movie and the way they connect, I'm a little bit over that. Other times I will tell you that you shouldn't spend your money, you shouldn't waste it on a crappy movie, but I don't think it's a crappy movie. So I say on this one, decide for yourself. If you love Marvel movies, you may get something out of this one. And if not, just go YouTube that post credit scene and watch that because that was awesome. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. 
It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. It's that time of the episode now where we check out some movies coming to theaters very soon. Let's break down some movie trailers. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. All right, we've been talking Marvel here in the last segment, and now there's a new Marvel movie called Morbius with Jared Leto, and it's another anti-hero movie. So kind of in the same aspect of Venom that came out, the new one earlier this year, Morbius kind of exists in that same cinematic universe. And it's a character who has this medical condition, makes him unable to walk and goes off to this other country for this experimental treatment. The treatment ends up working, but it also turns him into a half man, half vampire. So before we break it down, here's just a little bit of the Morbius trailer. We haven't had anything this good since that thing in San Francisco. I'd do anything to save a life. But I don't know what I'm capable of. You save lives, you don't take them. Who the hell are you, man? I am Venom. I'm just kidding, it's Dr. Michael Morbius at your service. So here we go, another anti-hero movie, which I'm kind of into. I think if I had to lean more to a new type of superhero movie that I'm enjoying more and more, it's the anti-hero. And that's somebody who you still root for even though they do bad things. And in this case, Morbius is a doctor played by Jared Leto who saves people's lives and tries to do this treatment to cure this rare medical condition he has, but turns himself into a vampire. And how do vampires survive? They have to drink blood from other people. So therefore, he has to kill people while trying to keep himself alive. I think this is an interesting take on the comic. It seems to stay pretty true to it, at least from the trailer. They don't really reveal exactly what the movie's going to be about as far as the plot line, but that's basically what it is. What I broke down from the trailer, it's existing almost in the same world of Tom Holland's Spider-Man. You see some references in the back there of a spray-painted Spider-Man with the word murderer over it, referencing the new Spider-Man movie coming out later this year. You also have Michael Keaton in there, reprising his role as Vulture, which also existed in that Spider-Man universe. And you also have Tyrese Gibson in this movie. I'm curious to see if a vampire movie like this works. Because I think vampires can come off a little bit cheesy. Some scenes in this trailer look a little bit cheesy. The flying scene, I somewhat have to get myself into that 
okay, he's flying now. I think where this movie may have success is the actual shots of him looking like a vampire with the teeth and the face. I think that actually looks pretty cool. So I don't have the bar set high on this one, but it is one I'm looking forward to coming out. And that comes out at the start of next year on January 28th, 2022. Up next in the trailer park, let's talk about The House of Gucci, which stars Al Pacino, Jared Leto, Salma Hayek, Jeremy Irons, and Lady Gaga, and Adam Driver. This movie comes out on November 24th of this year. Here's just a little bit of that trailer. Ah, what is you, my nephew? I've been the Gucci all my life. It is an empire. You can help the family. Gucci is not exciting, and everybody knows it. At least it's my name, sweetie. Our name, Sweetie. So the premise of the movie, it's set in Italy, spanning three decades of love, betrayal, decadence, revenge, and it depicts the events and aftermath of the 1995 murder of Maurizio Gucci, who was an Italian businessman and head of the fashion house, well, Gucci. And that murder was by his ex-wife, Patrizia, played by Lady Gaga. So what I liked about this trailer is it kind of gave me Goodfellas vibes. From the music... The wardrobe, the dialogue, them tackling wealth and also murder. I kind of get that vibe from the trailer of this movie. And then you have some really great actors. I mean, heavyweights like Al Pacino, Selma Hayek, Jared Leto, who looks completely unrecognizable in this role. Of course, Adam Driver, who is an astounding actor. And then Lady Gaga, who I surprisingly like now more for her acting than I do her music. And she went all in on this role Dived into it for three years, spoke with an accent for nine months straight. I did see some drama online of the woman she's portraying saying that the casting of Lady Gaga bothered her, which if you don't know the story of her and what this movie is portraying, is she was convicted of a highly publicized trial of hiring a hitman to kill her ex-husband, and she was dubbed by the Italian press as the Black Widow. So I'm pretty excited for this movie. Definitely on my list to see in the month of November. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. And every episode, I always shout out to one of you who listen, tweet about the show, call it the listener shout out of the week. And I'm going to do something a little bit different this week. But if you follow me on Instagram at Mike Distro, I put up a post I didn't even know I was going to post. It was a little bit vulnerable. And speaking about anxiety and depression, which is something I've dealt with since I was a teenager. And it was all of the comments from all of you guys also kind of opening up about how much you've struggled with that too. And that really meant a lot to me to go through all those comments and read everybody kind of showing some support, showing that I'm not alone in the situation and sharing your own stories of how you've dealt with anxiety and depression. That really meant a lot to me. And I know that I come on here and do this podcast every single week probably listen to the Bobby Bones show and know me from there. And you probably wouldn't think just by hearing my voice or even if you met me in person that it's something that I struggle with on a daily basis. Everything from when I sit down to record this podcast, I think to myself, man, this episode's going to suck. People are going to hate me. I'm going to get told that I don't need to do it anymore. There's just all these things that kind of factor into dealing with anxiety and depression. So it meant a lot to me for everybody who commented on that post It means a lot to me that you listen to this podcast and have been so supportive to me and everything I've, you know, taken on with all the jobs that I do and all the things that I'm a part of. 
it's comforting to know that you guys are there and it's not lost on me that I wouldn't be able to do this without you listening, without you following along. So just wanted to say, appreciate every single one of you listening. Appreciate everybody who commented on that post. I really hope you have a good week. And I mean that sincerely and honestly, because this episode comes out on Mondays. All my episodes come out on Mondays. I know how much of a struggle it is to get through the week. And I hope that maybe this podcast is just a little bit of any kind of shining light to help you not focus on some of that sometimes. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. I have a really awesome interview. I have a really awesome interview next week. I'll leave you with one clue. The boy who lived has to do with that. And until then, later. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.